it's in this series, the Here We Stand series, where we're going to, to talk about what we stand on and what's the truth and what's the foundation and what's really important. And, and worship is incredibly important. Worship is at the foundation of what we do because it's in worship that we're able to see God's gifts at work and it's in worship that we're able to hear God's word proclaimed. I mean, yes, that was an incredible song, but what made it so incredible was because it told us of the truth. But God's a lighthouse. God has sent a lighthouse, the Son, Jesus Christ, to be the light of the world that no matter what darkness may ever come, that we can, can find our way. And so we hear that, and yes, we hear it, and it's done in a way that's it's incredible. There's gifts that are there. We don't want to minimize that, but we also resonate with it even more because it strokes something deep within our soul. It's the truth. That's why we're doing this. For 10 weeks, if, if you weren't able to worship uh, with us here last week at Hope, uh, we're just in the beginning of a 10-week series from, from now until the end of October. We have a 10-week series called Here We Stand. And, and what we're gonna do is we're gonna look, one, at the Reformation. Uh, the Reformation was started by a guy by the name of Martin Luther, and we celebrate 500 years of that. And 500 years uh, is the anniversary of this incredible work that God did through a guy by the name of Martin Luther. And through it, we, we're calling it a 10-week confirmation refresher. Some of you don't, uh, don't have a confirmation experience. You don't even know what confirmation is. Some of you had an incredible confirmation experience, and some of you didn't. But when we get down to the, the, the roots of what confirmation truly is, is it's, it's an affirmation. It's confirming what we believe and what our faith is. When, when I was an infant, I was baptized. When my kids were infants, they were baptized. And when we brought our children to, 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 to the waters of baptism, uh, we, we made promises. We made promises that we would bring them to worship, that we would uh, teach them the Lord's Prayer, the Creed, the Ten Commandments, that we would bring them to, to uh, be with God's people. And we made promises in light of what God's promise for them is. That nothing in all of creation can ever separate them from God's love. And so that's what our students learn in confirmation. And now they've gotten to an age where they can start to hear and to understand and to, to be able to respond to God's promise. And so confirmation literally means to confirm or to affirm the promise that's been spoken into our lives. And so we get the opportunity to do that as well as an entire church. Because maybe you're not so different, maybe I'm not so different from the younger people in our congregation that sometimes we can forget. Sometimes maybe we need to, do you ever need to be reminded of who you are? Ever anything that happens in your life, or maybe it's just my life, but ever anything that happens that makes you question foundation of your identity man I think that I think it happens I think it happens all the time so last week we, we started there we looked at Romans chapter 3 and in Romans chapter 3 Paul gives us a, a foundation in his letter to the Romans and he says not as a complete thought but as a, a real entry point into the gospel of Jesus Christ he says for all people have sinned 
And that's the truth. And all people have sinned. We all fall short. But God doesn't allow our sin to be the final word. That God's grace is the final word. Luther, who was one of the people who sparked the Reformation, he, he had this, this quote. And there's a few quotes. I don't think Martin Luther was second to Jesus, not at all. My goodness, you read some of his later works from the later years of his life, the guy got grumpy. He did. But he had some incredible things that, that God used him to communicate to us. And one of the things that Luther said was righteousness comes in perfect passivity. Because sometimes, if we're going to be honest, when we think about who we are, we don't like it. We don't like it at all. And if we don't like the reality of who we are, we start to have this false narrative of maybe of what God thinks about us. And we start to think, if I think this way about me, then what could God ever think about me? And so we start there. Righteousness comes in perfect passivity. You don't have to do anything. It's by grace you've been saved. Yet God, in his undeserved kindness, has saved you from the power of sin and, and, and set you free. And that's who you are. Because we ask that question a lot. It's the foundation, really, of the Alpha Course that starts in just two weeks. The question of, of, of who am I? At the center of it, who is me? This year, or this past week, for not just our house, but for, for many of you, it was back to school week, which for my wife and I, now we, our kids are only 18 months apart. That's Jade. She's sitting right over there. Uh, Trey, he's down in Hope Kids, and they're only 18 months apart. We call them Scandinavian twins. They came so close to one another. And so a lot of people were asking us because we sent Trey off to school last year, and right on the heels now, we send Jade. So we lost both of the kids within one year. And so people have been asking us for the last few weeks, like, hey, are you nervous to send Jade off to school? Are you going to really miss her? And it was Tuesday night, and Bridget and I were sitting, and we were watching TV. The kids were already in bed. And I looked at Bridget, and I said, would you judge me if I said that I'm not sad that they're going to school at all? She said, no, would you judge me if I said the same thing? I said, no. So I can't wait. I, it's the end of summer break. I'm exhausted. Like, I love my kids, but I don't like them anymore. And I want to send them to school. Now there's somebody else's problem for eight hours a day for the next nine months. This is beautiful. So we were super happy about it. Wednesday morning comes, I had an early meeting, so I go off to school, and Bridget did what like every person in, in humanity does on the first day of school when your kids are in grade school, and when they're in junior high, they're not as excited about it anymore. But you use these chalkboards, and you say what year it is, so you have like kind of a, a running calendar each year of how they've changed and how they've developed, and so you write the name or the year down and what school they go to and their teacher's name and what they want to be when they grow up. And so Bridget sent me the text of both of the kids and what they wanted to be and their pictures to do the, oh, they're so cute and that whole thing, because I think they're cute. Uh, but then I looked at Jade's first, and when I grow up, I want to be a zookeeper. And I thought, well, that's kind of makes sense, because she has a brother by the name of Trey, and he's kind of a wild animal. And so she's used to it. But then she sent me Trey's picture. 
And I was horrified. Because when I grow up, I want to be a Hawkeye football player. (laughs) Now, some of you are like, well, that's not that funny. That's kind of a cool dream. I'm from Minnesota. And I thought to myself, my first thought to myself is, I'm going to kill the kid. I'm going to kill him. He can't like the Hawkeyes. He's a gopher. He's from God's country. He can't love the Hawkeyes. And I called Bridget and I said, who, who, who wrote that? She said, well, I wrote it. I said, why did you write it? She said, that's what he wants to be. I said, he he can't be that. That's not who he can be. She said, well, he also asked, his birthday is the first week of September. She said, he also asked if he could have a Hawkeye football birthday party. said, we'd do anything for him on his birthday, but could, could we possibly do that? And it struck me because his idea of me and my idea of him is different. And sometimes it gets messed up. That when we think about me, and we think about who I am and who I should be. We have a way of taking everybody else's expectations and placing it on ourselves. And we go from a place of feeling incredibly free to a place of feeling incredibly ashamed or as if we don't measure up or we don't make the grade. And it's not just kids when they want to be something as deplorable as a Hawkeye. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Truth be told, I think it's fantastic. Because I want to teach the kid humility. No, I'm just kidding. That's my last joke. It's my last joke. Milk it for all it's worth. But I think if only I could learn something from my son. But it doesn't matter what the expectation is. That's who he wants to be, and it's who he believes he could be. How about you? Has life gotten in the way of this? Of determining who you are? You you see, the the way that we've been created and one of the the incredible gifts that we've been given and and what we're going to find as we take these 10 weeks and we walk through uh, what is it that we stand on, one of the things that that we've been given and the gift that we've been given that that, that Luther brings to the surface. Again, it's not Luther. It's Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ and God revealed to Luther that he, he brought to the surface to make sure that people wouldn't forget. But one of the things that Luther did that was really countercultural at the time was he said, if it's between God and you, there's nothing that separates you. There's nothing that, that could separate you. But sometimes because of the way that life goes and sometimes because of the way that we perceive the way that life goes, sometimes we, we put a whole lot of things that exist between God and ourselves. And in that we don't experience any freedom. This week, as we continue on in this series on Here We Stand, we're, we're asking the question, uh, what's a Lutheran? <laughs> now, that's a loaded question. Because for some of you, 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 you think about, well, what's a Lutheran? A Lutheran is, it's potlucks or really weak coffee. 
Or maybe Lutheran means to, to follow a, a tradition or a style. Which don't mishear me. There's nothing wrong with tradition. There's nothing wrong with, with passing down uh, habits and, 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 and a way of doing something. Unless it gets between you and God. One of our core values at Hope is we honor God, not tradition. That when tradition gets in the way of our relationship with God, we will very reverently get rid of it. Somebody said, uh, well, what's a Lutheran? Well, how many Lutherans does it take to change a light bulb? And the one person said, change? We don't change. Lutheran's the difference between a hot dish and a casserole. Is it a hot dish or is it a casserole? See, if you're casserole, you're not Lutheran. It's hot dish. I mean, really, come on. But it's none of that. That's not what it means at the foundation of, of what we believe. Again, this just gives us a lens on how we view ourselves and we view God. But at the center of it, as Luther starts to think about this, the center of it is this incredible gift that we've been given. It's the gift that we, we heard about when we heard the Bible reading just a short time ago. It's from Hebrews chapter 4. And one of the things that was at the forefront of the Reformation was getting the Bible, getting God's word into the hands of people to make sure that everybody had access to be able to, to hear about the, the narrative of God with his people and the, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, and Luther went to great lengths to make sure that he would translate the Bible from the Latin into the, the, to German, the, the language that his people spoke. And, and because he knew that there is a truth about scripture that anytime the word of God goes out, it never comes back empty. You ever been in, in, in a worship service where something happens and all of a sudden you're like, my goodness, it feels like I'm the only person in the room right now. How could you have known that, that I needed to hear that? How could somebody have known to pick that song? Because that song addresses exactly the, the current circumstance that I'm going through in my life. They must be mind readers. It's not the song, it's God's word. It's God's word. And that's what Hebrews chapter 4 reminds us of and, 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 and commands us that, that we'd be able to receive this truth. For the word of God is alive and powerful. Everybody say alive. The word of God is alive. It's in the beginning of John's gospel. For in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God and the word was God. When we encounter the gift of God's word, it's alive and it's active, it's powerful. God inspired the word of God, the writers of scripture, that God's spirit was in them as they wrote and as they accounted for all of the incredible things that were happening. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, 
stopped it there because I think sometimes we use that just as an aside. Sometimes we use that as a way and a reason and an excuse to beat people up. But sometimes when we say, well, the, the, the Bible says that the uh, word of God is alive and active and it's sharper. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. So that gives me the excuse to, to find some me that I don't like and to attack their me and to cut them down because I need to do it. And it's, it's the loving thing to do and iron sharpens iron, which it does. But only when it's done in love. Sometimes we hear that verse from, from Hebrews and we think about it as a sword for battle when we should be thinking about a scalpel for surgery that's so precise that can go and hit anything that's infected. It says it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Nothing. When we read God's word, we're able to, we're able to experience freedom. For that's what God wants for you. God wants you to be free, to be the person that he created you to be. That your me is enough. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are enough, that you're me, whoever God created you to be? That you can be free to be you. And you can be free to, to have the gifts and the abilities and and even the failures that you have. There's a place in the, the Gospel of Mark, and there's a, a guy who comes to Jesus, and he, he asks Jesus. He has this question that's been plaguing him, this question that's on his thoughts and that's on his mind. And he, he knows of Jesus. He's heard of Jesus. He probably knows that Jesus has quite a reputation by this time. It's in Mark chapter 10. And, and Mark's gospel is much shorter than the other gospels. So this is getting towards the end of the story. And so the, the, the reputation of Jesus, the renown of Jesus is quite public by this point. And so this man comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, he said, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? I mean, what do I have to be? What do I have to be? What do I have to do? Tell me, what does it take? It's obvious that you're a man of God. It's obvious that you've been sent by God because I've heard about the miracles and the power of what you've been doing. So tell me, what must do I do? So I, follow, I follow the laws, I give to the poor, I go to worship, I do all of the right things. And Jesus, the, the, the scripture says, the scripture says that Jesus looked at the man and he looked at him, you can't miss this, he looked at him with love. Look it up, Mark chapter 10, fantastic story. Jesus looks at the man with love, with compassion, not with anger, not with any sort of condemnation. 
He looks at him with love. And he sees the man is incredibly wealthy. Sometimes you'll hear this story preached and you'll hear that it's just something about wealth. It's not what it's about. Because for this man, what had gotten between him and God was his money. And Jesus doesn't want that to be true for him. He doesn't want that to be the thing that gets to set the man's identity. She says, if you, you want to know what uh, living free is, if you want to know what freedom is, he says, get rid of all this. But you put in your life, you put in your own situation, what is it that's gotten between you and God? What's, what's gotten to be the place that takes more importance for you than God? Insert that into this story where Jesus looks lovingly at you and says, you got to get rid of it. It's not worth it. It's not valuable enough. It's not going to give you what you think it's going to give you. So, 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 so get that out of the way. Because I've created you to be in a, in a relationship with me that there's nothing in between us. So it says the man walked away from Jesus and he walked away and he was sad. And his disciples look at him and they say, then what can we do to be saved? Seems, it seems impossible. Jesus looked at them and said, yeah, humanly speaking, it is. When getting right with God is all dependent on you, it is impossible. It's more than any of us can handle on our own. Yet we still try to do it. Yet we still try to do all of these religious things, thinking that if we can just be good enough, then we'll get in enough. It's not the way it works. Humanly speaking, it's impossible. Our house right now, we, our kids are in love with American Ninja Warrior. We watch American, actually I watched two episodes of American Ninja Warrior this afternoon. It's all my kids want to watch. And our house has become an American Ninja Warrior course. It's fascinating and it's terrifying. My son has figured out he does something that he calls the spider. He goes in our, in our hallways and he jumps up and he kicks his legs out and he kicks, kicks his feet out so he's suspended in midair, which is just awesome. Then he shimmies himself up to the ceiling, which is just awesome, except for when you don't expect him to be there. So I'll hear his voice calling from me from upstairs. I'm downstairs and be like, hey, dad, come upstairs. I'll come to the top of the stairs. I'll turn the corner. I'm like, whoa, there you are. And so we were watching an episode the other day, and they had this thing. There's a lot of grip strength in this show, and they had this obstacle on American Ninja Warrior where the contestants had to hang from something by their fingertips. I mean, they were holding on by the skinniest of margins. And Trey, our son, looked at me, and they said, he said, Dad, Dad how, how can they do that? It seems impossible could never do that. I made the mistake and I said, hey, buddy, around your door sill, there's a little ledge. So he's been trying to do pull-ups and oh my goodness, I'm going to ruin our house and I'm going to ruin our kids. I don't know which one's more valuable, so I'm going to take care of both of them. Dad, that's in, it's impossible. Nobody could ever do that. Which is sometimes where we find ourselves in our faith. 
God says, you're right. Jesus says, you're right. Humanly speaking, it's impossible. But with God, everything is possible. That's the reality and the truth of the gospel. That's why it's such incredibly good news that when we come and we come to worship and we hear about God's word, we don't come and discuss and talk about spiritual things because talking about spiritual things isn't enough. It's not enough just to know about spirituality and it's not enough just to know about God because knowing it and experiencing it, it's two different things. Isn't it? How about when you've longed to fall in love, but you never have? You've heard about it, but you've never experienced it. Two entirely different things. When you have a child, you can know what that could be like, but experiencing it, it's quite different. That's what the gospel does. Because on our own, it's impossible. We know that. St. Augustine is uh, one of the four fathers of the church, an incredible uh, force in the church in the early centuries of it. And St. Augustine said this quote, which I think is fantastic. And I think it's something that we, we all need to remember. He says, there is no saint without a past and there is no sinner Without a future. It's good news, isn't it? There is, humanly speaking, humanly speaking, it's impossible. We're humans. We are humans. And it's impossible. There is no saint without a past. But here's the good news. At the same time, there is no sinner without a future. That your future has been wrapped up in the reality of Jesus Christ. Luther would put it this way. One of the phrases that Luther would use, referenced very rarely, but would refer to quite often was, simul istis et peccator. That's a mouthful. In Latin, there it is. What it means is simultaneously, you and I are justified and we're sinners at the same time. That if it's about us, we're going to get it wrong. But when it's about God, he, he got it right. One of the things that Luther would talk about quite a bit that we experience ourselves is something called the, the, the sola. Sola in, in Latin would mean alone. And there were these five solas that really shaped the theology that and theology just really means the, the, the lens through which we know and understand God. It's just a fancy word that means knowing and understanding God. The theology, the, 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 the perspective, the lens that we have, the theology would be, faced, would be shaped by these, three, these things. That The first one is, it's what we talked about last, last week, sola gratia. Gratia is the Latin word for grace. It's by grace alone. It's only by God's grace. It's only by God's grace that we've been saved through faith alone. Sola fida. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's, been, it's by grace you've been saved through faith. And this isn't your own doing. Let, 
lest anyone would boast about it. It's by grace, by faith. You say, wow, Jeremy, that's the trouble. Faith is so hard for somebody like me. Welcome to the club. I don't want to minimize it for you. But faith is hard for all of us. Faith is the assurance of things that we hope for and the conviction of things that we just can't see. That faith by nature, faith elicits doubt. But faith means just literally trusting that the promises that God has, the promises that were spoken into your life, the promises that we hear in in God's word, that those promises are true and they could be for you. That your me is enough for God. You've been saved by grace through faith in Christ. Solus Christus. It's in Christ alone. It's in nothing more and in nothing less than Jesus Christ. That from the beginning of time, God knew that his redemption work in the world would come through the Messiah, through the the God who would become flesh and would come and enter into our world. We've been saved by grace through faith in Christ that we encounter in God's word. We're a Bible church here at Hope. We're a Bible church because it's in the Bible that we experience God, among other things. But our words won't do. Our words aren't enough, but his words always are enough. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ, according to Scripture, for the glory of God. See, here's where it gets really good. Because I think sometimes we can reduce faith and we can reduce Christianity and we can reduce our experience with God to something that's just personal. So tell me about your faith. You say, ah, no, that's personal. That's something I do on my own. With all due respect, you don't. You see, one of the things that Luther would say is that in Christ, that we're perfectly free. And because of Jesus, because of the work of Jesus that we're perfectly free and we're subject to nobody. That we're free to be whoever we are. We're perfectly free. That's what Hebrews goes on to say. That the word of God is able to cut through the fabric of our lives to to hit our innermost and secret and hidden things that we maybe have layered underneath for so long, but but God's word can go and can precisely speak into those areas of hurt and woundedness and incompleteness and bring life and and restoration and redemption. And and Hebrews says it's because of his graciousness that we can receive his mercy and find that grace to help us when we need it. But it's not just for us. See, this story is for you, but it's not about you. Because God can use you to save the world. To shine his light and to share his love with the world. If if this was all about us, I mean, just a quick pop quiz. When we, th- we think about now that we're a church of, we have five locations. Did we start those locations 
Think about last week. We launched Hope Ames. Did we start Hope Ames for the people of West Des Moines or for the people of Ames? For the people of... So when we did a Lent project last year where we raised a ton of money to plant churches in Ghana, Africa, did we do that for ourselves or did we do that for the people of Ghana? For the people of... Ghana, when we partner with Freedom for Youth and other local organizations and are able to, as a church, hand out, did you hear that? 3,200 backpacks? Did we do that for us or did we do that for the kids who don't have backpacks? We did it for the kids who don't have backpacks. You see, that's what this whole thing is about. Because God's given us a gift of grace that set us free. That we're perfectly free and we're subject to none, but we're perfectly bound and we're subject to all because the me becomes you so that the you can get to know God and they can be a me who can know God, who can shed it to another you that can know God. And well, you know how the story goes. Because that's how you got here. You got here because somebody knew it wasn't about them, but it was about you and they loved you enough to share it with you and because of the graciousness and the power of God's word there's nothing that can hold us back from that any longer nothing we're perfectly free subject to none set free according to the grace of Jesus Christ but it's in our freedom that we love and serve the world around us What's holding you back? It's nothing. It's nothing holding us back. Sounds like something we should sing. So we're going to close with worship with this, this evening. Prayer partners will be on the side as they always are after worship. We find that that's an incredible power and gift that we've been given is prayer. So if you want prayer, you can go while we're singing. They'll be here after worship. But we will sing and we'll sing about the truth the power of Jesus that doesn't hold us back, sets us free.